Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is Jessie. And I'm Helen here. And you're listening to another episode of Asian Bitches Down Under. Hi everyone. Hey. How are you going, Jessie? I'm good. I'm feeling really good despite the cold weather and grey skies. But I like grey yeah. skies. How are you going? Um, I'm doing okay apart from my <laughs> injured back. Yeah, tell us what happened to your back. Yeah, um, so today's Thursday. Mm. And on Monday afternoon, I went out to get some firewood. And I think I just kind of, I haven't been like lifting so much mm. lately. Mm-hmm. And I kind of extended myself over doing exercise that afternoon as well. Yeah. Like kettlebell swings. And then Tuesday morning, I woke up and trying to do more exercise as well. I don't know why. Like when you're in like a semi-lockdown situation, yeah. you're trying to make your body move because you can't go yeah, anywhere. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, and then I just felt like a sudden pain in my lower back, so oh I stopped God. doing everything. Uh-huh. Yeah, but luckily I went to see um, GP yesterday, uh-huh. and also um, I'll be seeing a physio this afternoon as well. Okay. Um, the GP say it's most likely it's a muscle strain. Right, yeah. right, yeah. He <laughs> comment how flexible that I am, which is funny. Well, like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've just been told by so many people I overextend because... And like I'm super flexible, and apparently Asian Asian women especially are very flexible. Um, I don't know. I just always find that comment. <laughs> Where's that came of, from? Yeah, I don't know that comment. It's all, and that comment is never made by an Asian. It's always made by someone outside of my race. So it's always been a bit. I don't know. I just feel uncomfortable with that designation. But anyway, um, yeah, I feel like I I remember maybe six months ago I did something to my ribs. And there was absolutely no reason or, like, explanation for it. And I went to see physios and nobody could tell me what was wrong with me. They, some, yeah, I saw a couple of people and they were just like, oh, sometimes you reach for your um, seatbelt and then you might fuck something up. It's like, it's so irritating. Yeah, sudden jerks or anything. And then I just remember thinking, oh my God, this is what they mean when they say after 30, <laughs> you just like, yeah, your body my just. 40s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. So this week, um, I finished that online course that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on Corazza, mm-hmm. on feminism. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's the course that's offered by University of uh, California. Um, I highly awesome. recommend everyone to, you know, to go and have a look. Um, it's only a couple hours. So I went through um, the units on a co- one of the movies and uh, issues, uh, the news that was about Angela Davis and also the Me Too movement. I think it's very relevant for most people to um, to understand the you know the beginning of the feminism movement. Yeah, yeah, and I really, really recommend it. It's really easy. It's like video lectures, and you answer a couple of questions. Yeah, nice. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And I want to just quickly mention that uh, congratulations to Jesse on topping the chart of a debut novel that oh we mentioned God. last week. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wicked. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah I guess like um, I mean, it's it's the same thing. Whenever someone else achieve something I think it's like fucking amazing but when I do it it's just it doesn't feel like anything um 
And I saw my therapist, my sex therapist, actually, this week. I mean, I see a sex therapist, even though we never actually really talk specifically about sex. But all, just it's so interesting when I go to her, we end up talking about mostly about power and about my father. <laughs> um, and she was saying um, that, um, I don't know, I lost my train of thought. What were you saying? Oh, yeah, she was asking, like, I was telling her about the how my book is doing well and and then I told her how I felt about it and she said why where does this come from where does this sense of like never ever being enough come from and you know um I won't go into details but um yeah it's if I mean I'm very flattered that you know everyone so far has said that the book is very relatable and I find that just super flattering because I really wrote it like I say in so many interviews I really wrote it for nobody but myself Mm-hmm. So it feels very, very. I feel so humbled that other people would read it and see themselves in it. Mm-hmm. It feels very humbling. But thanks for the shout out. Yeah, I mean, you you finished it this week, right, Hell? Yeah, I finished it this yeah. week. You know, I really enjoyed you think? reading it. Really? Um, yeah. I, you don't I have mean... to say that just because I'm your sister. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, how you framed the whole story. The the pace was really good, and also. Um, the language was not too difficult for me to like to understand. You know how like I've got really limited vocabulary, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was really nice to read. And there's bits that I was really sad about how the interactions that you the oh well, I wasn't going to say you, <laughs> Jen, <laughs> Jenna, uh, yeah, the characters in the book, uh, her interactions with her friends and especially the interaction with her female friends. That's that's really something that I haven't read in a lot of fictions. Like the, you read, mm. uh, like whenever there's female characters in the book, they always mm. will be directed or be used as a character for romance. And mm, there's, yeah. I think, there should be more female characters that have the reference of just pure, you know, friendship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I think. I never set out intentionally to do that, but I think what I was also examining in this book, and it's something that hasn't come up in any of the interviews yet, is um, I, my heart was so broken by a friend of mine, a female friend. I was so shattered by that. She broke my heart, and I think I broke hers, and I really wanted to try and write through that. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's not really just about sex and heterosexual relationships. This book is very, very much also about my heartbreak over this friend who dumped me mm-hmm. um and I think like it was shocking because you know I grew up watching films and reading books where I was taught that the greatest heartbreak I will ever experience is when I get my heart broken by a guy like in a romantic context mm-hmm. but um but this breakup I had with a female friend which who I didn't sleep with our our relationship was completely plutonic that was like shattering to a degree that no one had actually ever warned warned me about you know mm-hmm. have you yeah have you ever broken up with a friend yeah to be honest i have but it's um i feel like when you have a friendship that is like in a like we we're both cis i i, I don't know about you but i'm like a like a straight woman you know like you said that we were expected that our heart broken 
is to be with a guy, but when you have a like a friendship that you have very long developed, you know, probably from your childhood, from your student time, and then when you move on to your adulthood, and perhaps when you like taken a different path, and then you catch up again, yeah. you feel like. Oh, where's the comment in that? Like, kind of, you you feel like something is lost there, but you don't exactly know, like, how to explain it. I don't know. I I did have you know one or two um female friends that just kind of drifted apart. Like, yeah. That you know the reason, but you didn't want to like uh, open yeah. it up. Like, yeah, in, exactly. in, in You know, in Chinese we say "死破脸." <laughs> you know. Yeah. And you just kind of like. Uh, thinking that okay, if we don't talk about it, then we'll just drift them apart. You know right, what? Like right. a lot of like heterosexual or uh, in the romance, sorry, in the ro- romance context, that uh-huh. sometimes that uh, a couple will just drift apart and they don't yeah. talk about it. I I feel yeah. like it's something similar. Yeah, because I mean, I have am having difficulties with an old friend of mine. Um, so this woman is not the friend I, I was just referring to. This this woman, she has known me since I was like twelve or thirteen, and recently, she's like expressed some views that have really hurt me, mm. like deeply, deeply hurt me. It, and it was about her views on homosexuality, and like she's also recently just I have this other conflict with uh, another friend of ours so we have a shared mutual friend who I've also known since I was 12 and it just it kind of irrit- it, it breaks my heart but it also makes me so angry because I don't want to be their friends anymore and yet I feel like I owe it to I don't know owe it to myself that I want to be able to be old and say oh this woman has on oh, this person has known me since I was 12 there's a magic element to that that I want to sustain and yeah. yet I don't like, like, I don't think I want to be friends with these people because their views are so deeply conservative. And I, I just, I, I like now that I'm more like, at least people are like, I'm building some sort of public profile with this book coming out. Mm -hmm. I, I remember when I first signed my uh, book deal, maybe a year ago, I called my brother up and I said, "Um, can you just remind me? about this moment and also if I ever become a wank you know how people tend to become wanky and self-righteous when they become like famous famous yeah or better known yeah like mm. I was just telling Kevin oh please just make sure I never become one of them mm. and I never be- want to be one of those people who like you know when people say oh once like Bob got famous he stopped contacting me I'm so aware of yeah, the social I'm so, circles that has exactly. moved on and things yeah, like that. Yeah, and I'm so aware of not doing that to my friends because I love my friends. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel like I really need to do this because I've realized that my these old friends of mine from high school are deeply, deeply mm-hmm. conservative. And it just breaks my heart. And I don't want to be around people who think like that. And mm-hmm. it's just such a conflict for me. It's so deeply conflicting yeah. be, because I... And these people, by the way, these two friends of mine are Asian as well. And like I told you, Helen, a few weeks ago, some mm-hmm. of the sort of less encouraging reviews I've had from my book have been from Asian people. And that's been really disappointing because I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck, where are all the progressive Asians? You know, mm-hmm. what the fuck? I'm, it just makes me I think so it just angry. Takes time. Yeah, I think it just takes time. Like, I feel like... Um, I don't even know if the progressive the word is 
definitive to describe the situation like this because perhaps a lot of Asians out there they think they're still very they're they're progressive but there's just certain social aspects that they it will just take time for them to accept I guess yeah it's really hard I I can understand where you're coming from it just it's so painful and I just don't even want to confront her because I'm I don't I, I it just hurts me it's the pain is too much you know but we're talking about like happy topics Move today to yeah films. <laughs> yeah it's one of our favorite things besides reading <laughs> yeah totally so so we work um I want to just start by uh, mentioning that um, the Taiwan uh, Film Festival in Sydney mm-hmm. well it's across Australia now because due to COVID uh, it's moved on to online this year Taiwan Film Festival is online at the moment. Um, uh, it started last weekend, so you can Google the Taiwan Film Festival and then check out on their website. You can purchase a thirty-five dollar like a season pass, and it gives you access to all nineteen films. Um, I think nice. a third of yeah, I think it's a third of them are short films, but they're all really good. Um, I've I've just kind of binged through a couple of films. The past few days, uh, I watched the game, the Oscar, and the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. It's a slapstick, silly, tiny gangster comedy movie. Uh-huh. So it's about uh-huh. a, a pair of misfortune producer director duo, <laughs> you know, making a deal with a tiny mob to like they're trying to make like a zombie movie. That's why uh-huh. <laughs> the Walking Dead is in the title, right? And if they end up having the boss's woman uh, try to lead the movie. But she tragically dies um, during like a, a like a launch party. She dies. Yeah, she dies in the movie. But oh they found God. like a transgender woman to replace her. So the comedy that's, is like that's so it, deeply like sexist and misogynistic. Yeah, that, I know. I that know, subtext yeah. is so fucked up. And you know, the, it's just so funny that um, the pair have brought it into like a conflict between like Japanese and Chinese mob about. Um, Diamond trays while they mm. were making movie. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a very silly. I, I feel like I'm watching like a movie from the seventies. Mm. It's just very mm. very tiny. Yeah, and I've seen I've watched um, two documentaries. The first one is the Good Daughter. Um, it's about a Vietnamese woman who married into Taiwan. Oh, I reviewed that for the. Oh, blog. you did. Yeah, uh, I watched yeah, it what, twice. what do you think it's of so it? Sad. Well, I was just like, I love, so Sally Wu, the filmmaker, and I, we're in, we're, we are collaborating for her next documentary. She's Boston-based. Mm-hmm. She's Taiwanese. And um, she makes a beautiful film because it's so observational and she doesn't, mm-hmm. the way she frames the characters is so not judgmental. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, it's about, like you said, um, Helen, it's about a Vietnamese uh, woman who is one of, like, hundreds of thousands of women every year, like Filipinos and Filipino Southeast women. Southeast Asian women. Southeast yeah. Asian women, yeah, who, who are in, in throat, what's that word? In bestowed or like they get married to Taiwanese is men. That, is that the word that you will use? I would just use been purchased. Oh, shit. Yeah, I guess they are Practically, it's just hey, they've been purchased. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and by men in Taiwan, and then they go and marry them, have children, and they work on like they do very, very hard, laborious work, yeah. labor work, farm work, and this film is so sad. Like I cried so much watching this film, and I kept thinking, 
I just kept thinking about how bad I felt for, for like being sad about my situations in life sometimes. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking this, these people have it fucking 10 times worse. Mm-hmm. I just never want to stop reminding myself that my life is really, really nothing in terms of my adversity that I face compared to these people. You know, mm-hmm. what did you think? It's just, it was so sad. It was really sad. It was really sad, I think, in the sense that because the economic disparities and also the education disparities, you know, in social classes is really widening, especially, I think, in in Taiwan. What, what I know about this kind of, like, a marriage kind of trade, uh, it had mm. happened in, like, last 20, 30 years, you know, mm. whereas... Um, Taiwanese women, they're getting more education. I think we'll probably mm. talk about this in another pop, but I just want to quickly mention that um, the disparity between men and women in Taiwan, whereas most Ta- a lot of Taiwanese women, they're getting higher mm. education, so they will yeah. want more equality in their life. So right. in a sense, if they choose not to get married or not to have kids, or otherwise they will move abroad, you know, seeking partners elsewhere, where they can feel more empowered but a lot of men in Taiwan um, they're not progressing so in the sense that they still have a very um, traditional conservative family views as in that I want a woman that I married and in order to just have kids and look after me for the rest of my life there will still have there's still a lot of men that are like that why why is that why are men not progressing the way women are? I have no idea. I, I, I mean, I deeply down, I know the, uh, the reason for it is that because, you know, they, they get to control, they still want to control others and right. they still see, yeah. you know, woman as a wife or as a mother, as yeah. a p- procession under their, you know, themselves. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a subordination, it's a power struggle there. Marriage tray where they start, I'm just going to go out and use the word importing um, yeah. woman and yeah, also young yeah. woman as well. You know, they need to be fertile yeah. from Southeast Asia where these women are coming from most likely lower socioeconomic families that mm. they need to have their daughter, you know, going out of their country mm. and earn money and send money back to their Yeah. Which is what Arzi is. Yeah, Arzi, which is the um, the wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she works in that the family, the garlic farm, farm. and also that she needs to go out and work in the oyster farm. Yeah, and she gets um, criticized by her mother-in-law. Oh my god, that was so lethal. Her mother-in-law is like. She bullies her basically. Yeah, and I talked to Sally Wu, the director, and she said that. She was actually the mother-in-law was actually way worse in person, mm, I but she didn't so, film yeah. those parts. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, that was very disturbing. Yeah, but you know, hell, watching this film made me realize that a lot of for a lot of women in this world, free will and jurisdiction over your own life is still very, very privileged. Like yeah. Arthur has no free yeah, will. That's right. She's fucking yeah. tied to her family and her like her own family and her, her family back home in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And she actually, I think in, in the part of the film, she actually mentioned that she feel glad that she, she actually feel that she's better than the woman that who stays in Vietnam because there's no prospects for mm. a woman who stays back in Vietnam. Yeah. Like making money yeah. or having a family or so. 
Mm. I think it's just a toxic cycle of desire of having their own kids. Like I, I, I remember seeing in the film that the husband Ah Long, yeah, who yeah. is like twenty years older than Ah Tzu, older, yeah, yeah, and he's saying that oh because I'm disabled because he he had polio when he was young. Like he he said yeah, he was disabled. Yeah, and he has like a limp leg. Yeah, and he had no desire of getting married or having mm. kids. But then he was yeah. forced by his mother. Oh God. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? Actual fuck? I don't. Yeah. Well, it's this like economic unit of a family, and and bringing in a basically a free slave, mm-hmm. so that they she can work for free and yeah, basically you know, on your like farm that. And, yeah, on yeah, the farm, and yeah. perhaps you know she goes out and bring more extra cash. Yeah. 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 I, I know there's a lot of difficulties for the woman that's. Coming from Southeast Asia, married into Taiwan because of the language and culture barriers, and mm. they and and, and, and she's and speaks Thai so well after yeah, seven yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, oh, she amazing. does. And also the kids that they have, like, they're so cute. They're so oh cute, God. but often they end up being bullied by you know the local yeah. kids because yeah. they're, they're her like, mum is not Taiwanese. Yeah, it's fucked up. That's so sad. I know. Okay, and I want to just move on to the next, the other documentary film that I finished last night. It's called Run for Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a total different genre. It's a documentary uh-huh. about Tommy Chan, um, the first Asian contestant uh, winning an ultra marathon. His oh, journey cool. in training and his That's inner so cool. mental stability throughout the whole documentary. And he's Taiwanese. He's Taiwanese. Um, I mean, as how old co- is he? I think he's just early thirties. Yeah, okay. when the film, when they were following him through between 2012 and 2017, he was about 27, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as a climber myself, I kind of feel sorry that, you know, I wasn't really, I was never really into watching sports documentary, but I really enjoyed yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah. It's just amazing to watch how he pushed himself beyond the limit mm. and mm. testing his own physical strength, like in the yeah. temperature below. 30 or above 40 degrees Celsius. It's just amazed mm. to me that how the, you know, human endurance to that kind of condition. Mm. And also the friendship he made throughout the, his races is very moving. There's, there was one scene that I just, I was just like tearing out. I, there was oh, a one tell scene me what, what happened. At the um, China Gobi race. Um, mm-hmm. There was a so every race is like two hundred and fifty kilometers. They had to complete it within seven days. So and it, they're they're not on flat rolls, you know. You go over yeah. like desert, and sometimes uh-huh. the, the final um, race is actually in Antarctic. So oh, what? Yeah. So during this uh, the second race in China, Gobi. Uh, in his final stretch, he was just saying, "You can tell that he was just so vulnerable." He was just crying like a little child and saying that he couldn't continue anymore because all oh the injuries that he had on his feet. Oh, fuck. And there was a Swedish runner, like like almost like a head taller than him, like just holding his hands like a little child, you know, holding his hands and telling him that, oh, you can do it, you know, let's just finish this and you're, you know, you can rest. And he was just literally crying like a child. Mm. Yeah. Because it's so touching. It's yeah. just, you don't see, you don't see like 
Um, Mandu, Mandu- yeah, that's right. Yeah, you don't yeah, see a lot of Mandu really in that. Beautiful. It was just really good seeing that you know the oh. other Swedish runner encouraged yeah. him. I yeah. love that. That's really yeah. beautiful. It was amazing. Okay. Well, um, yeah. Well, this week both Helen and I watched one of my favorite films, um, from when I was a kid, <laughs> and we want to talk about it today. Um, Demolition Man, starring Sylvester Stallone, Sandra Bullock, and Wesley Snipes. Um. Uh, the film was made in the early 90s uh, <laughs> and it basically it's a film about um, in the beginning. Actually, I found it very strange in the beginning. It was, you know, in the early 90s. Films, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was very violent from the very start and I found that surprising. Usually I feel like films build up to violence or like build up to this um conflict where at the end the two main stars the good guy and the bad guy um confront each other but mm-hmm. this happened in the first five minutes yeah so we see the Sylvester Sloan going into a warehouse trying to capture Wesley Snipes and um he does capture Wesley Snipes but um he Sylvester Sloan was trying to save some hostages but apparently um, he wasn't able to save them. Wesley Snipes had already killed them. So um, Sylvester Stallone is actually jailed. <laughs> but instead mm. of like being jailed, he is put into a freezer thing. Psycho, what do they call it again? That thing. Psychosis? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Any, yeah, when they can freeze someone. This mm-hmm. is like a real science when they're trying to freeze someone and then like thaw them in, you know, 10, decade, 10 t- years time and they're still alive somehow. Um, and so like we see him get frozen, both of them get frozen. And then the film then jumps to, what is it? 200, 2000 2032. 2032, which is like only 12 years away. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, um, uh, there, are the world is, looks quite different, but also not that different. So, um, it's not like back to the future where we have flying cars, we have self-driving cars, but not flying cars. And we meet um, Sandra Bullock, who is this gorgeous, cute little, she's not little, um, police officer. And the and she's really into the 20th century. So she mm. her office is filled with 20th century relics. She has a poster of like um, lethal weapon uh-huh. on her, <laughs> yeah, on her, in her, in her um, office. And um, the police force is now completely... Like, the world is completely changed, so there is basically no evil. Like, the last murder, they call it murder, death, kill, uh-huh. <laughs> it was, like, 10, 20 years ago. And um, so basically nothing bad, like, and nothing bad happens in this new world in 2032. And also, if you swear, if you use the word, curse word, there's this sort of omnipresent uh, robotic system that finds you. Mm-hmm. That's so um, funny. Violent. Yeah, so every time you say a swear word, you get fined. Um, but, but yeah, um, it was just, it's such a funny film. I love it so much. Um, what, was there anything I missed in the plot line, Hell? Um, no, I think you pretty much cover it, except for you haven't mentioned the ghetto, you know, that, why oh, the reason yes. that they've yeah. been like unfroze um, in, in the 2032. Um, I think we find it funny now because we're looking back of how that film was made during the 90s and we're trying to reflect on how what's happening in the present time. But back yeah. then, it was like a huge hit, wasn't it? Like because it's yeah. full of violence, full of guns and it was just really popular during the 90s, you know, I've seen those action movies. Yeah, and Sylvester Sloan was a massive 
star back then, as was Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Who and, I think mm-hmm. at moments sounded like Eddie Murphy and I didn't like the portrayal of that character actually. I think they were okay. racialising him unnecessarily. Um, yeah. yeah, back in the 90s, I think I it, we didn't really look into the racial No, issues. I mean, yeah, but exactly. But now we look back, then we can see that, oh, there's a lot of things that's been portrayed as in stereotyping, yeah. you know, a certain race. Um, I think you mentioned last week when we finished watching this movie about, you know, how the ghetto in 2032 is, like, there's Latinos as well. Yeah, so yeah. the underground is where yeah, a lot the of the people... World. So basically, if you haven't seen the film, the world in which um, the new world that we see Sandra Bullock in is kind of like the very pristine, clean um, utopia. It's very utopic. Mm-hmm. Everyone is dressed like a kind of chic monk, Japanese style. Um, it's the futuristic elements you see are very typical of what you know, so Arthur C. Clarke was envisioning back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, about this clean world and most of the people in the upper world, we'll just call them the upper world, they were either white or Asian. Like there were a couple of mm-hmm. Asians yeah. moving about. Mm-hmm. But then the underworld, which is literally underground, um, there were a couple of white people but also like Latino um, and like more black people as well. Yes, I think, yeah, the director was making a very stark um, sort of symbolism with with the way he casted those two it was very class it was talking making a point about class but also race yeah yeah it is and also that if you think about how the language has changed um i thought was so funny like when we were looking like we were watching it back in the 90s i didn't think maybe i haven't like grasped the intention of it but Mm. It was just so funny watching it now saying, <laughs> watching and saying, you know, mellow greetings or be well. <laughs> which... Yeah, be, they, they keep, yeah. In the upper world, people greet each other or like say goodbye by saying be well. Be well, yeah. Which is so funny because like I I tend to say be safe to people. Like in the last six months, I've been signing off with be safe. Yeah, yeah. Or like, uh-huh. I think I think that's a really nice, just, you know, I want to know that people are safe. Uh-huh. Um Especially my girlfriends, when before they, after they go home, I I always say that and you know make sure yeah. that if they're but walking found, home alone, uh-huh. I found it so funny but, how uh, yeah. Stallone uh, one of the scenes that he replied, "Be fucked." Did he do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. Where's that doctor say, "Oh, you be well," like uh, uh, upon his departure, and he goes, "Be fucked." <laughs> you know how how the whole like upper world, like you you said you mentioned, is that I feel like it, it reminds me of Spock from. Star Wars, you know, how oh, it's really okay. uptight. And it's Star emo- Trek, Star Trek. Yeah, sorry, Star Trek. Very uptight and emotionally yes. constrained Void. speech. Yeah. yeah. You know, where that you have to monitor every behaviors that you present in yeah. front of other people. Not, you, not yeah. even in front of other people, even during your private, you know, surroundings yeah. where you can't have sex freely. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, like, we have to talk yeah. about that scene. I yeah, love that This is that the scene. reason that we picked this film because we were talking about... Talking about sex. Sex. Yeah. Um, why is it... Like, if it's been monitored and controlled, would that be something different about how we express human emotion? Wasn't it? Was that the conversation that we had about two no, weeks ago? No, we were ago? talking about... Yeah, um, so the, this conversation sparked between Helen and I and our brother Kevin when we were talking about the future of sex... And whether or not, like, things will be more fair if we took out reproduction out of sex mm-hmm. for women. 
and, and then Kevin and I, yeah, Ke- yeah spontaneously mentioned, mentioned yeah, demolition. The, yeah, Sylvester. Yeah, and I remember watching that as a kid. I think I was like seven or eight when I saw it, <laughs> and it it left such a mesmerizing, um, I guess, memory inside me because. I didn't know what sex was back then because, you know, we grew up in a very conservative mm-hmm. background and here was, like, two this girl, a white girl saying, do you want to have sex with a guy? And then she puts on this helmet. So <laughs> basically, if you haven't seen it, um, Sandra Bullock invites Sylvester Sloan back to her apartment and then she says, do you want to have sex? And he's, like, <laughs> very surprised but happy. And then she comes out in, a, like, a kimono kind of gown and then she opens up a box and then puts a helmet, sort of helmet, onto him. And then mm-hmm. she puts a helmet onto herself. And they sit about a meter apart on these benches and they don't touch. Um, but we see the image flash of sort of like Sandra Bullock's face kind of reaching orgasm. She's just being um, sort of obviously delighted. But. But then he kind of goes crazy in the head and takes off the helmet and tries to make a move on her physically. And she's a bored. She's, she's like abhorrent. She finds that very abhorrent because in this new world, people don't physically touch. Like they don't kiss. That's unhygienic. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that my idea about sex was strangely informed by that scene <laughs> for some weird reason. It's very funny. Yeah. It's so yeah. weird. It's so weird. Yeah. And also in the movie that the I think she mentioned, like he questioned about, oh, what about you know, um, kids? And she says, oh, yeah. procreation is licensed. Like, apparently, you have to yeah. go through a procedure of, I don't know, registering, and mm. um, you you can't just go out and have babies like yeah yeah when you want it or how you want it yeah 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 yeah. So it's a very very controlled. Even though that on surface it looks like utopian, utopian yeah. but yeah. in another, on the other hand, it looks very like what had happened during in China, you know, thirty years ago when they had. Oh my god! Yeah, um, exactly. Where the government controlled where the a government woman's controlled, body. yeah, oh, the you know exactly the reproduction. Yeah, because yeah. I mentioned. Like, I mentioned this film when I was talking to my husband about it. And I mentioned that, oh, you know, perhaps if we would it be better to have it controlled mm-hmm. in the sense, like I thought about what happened in China as well. Mm-hmm. But I thought that would it limit sexual assaults, you know, if you don't have, like the crime wise. What do you mean? As in, if if all the things like physical attacks and thing like yeah. this uh, talk about safety for women and sexual assaults that's been um try to abolish in the sense of having sex in the um virtual reality that's what literally happened in the film would I limit mm. the crime rates you know as in controlling the birth rights and things like that and my husband went oh is that well do you want someone like trump controls you know who have the Mm. right to have babies you know hell no but Mm. it seems like it's what what had happened in the movie Mm. yeah and you don't see kids you don't see kids in the movie yeah good point well you do actually when he when wesley snipes goes into the museum in search of guns remember Uh there was a group of kids and actually wesley snipes character makes a very racist joke because i think the kids were asian 
And then, yeah, and then when they walked past him, Wesley Snipes goes, ching, chong, ching, 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 something like that. Oh, okay. That's Did you remember 90s. that? I no, found I that very jarring. No, I didn't, I didn't remember that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, Sylvester Stallone, totally ripped. There are a couple of scenes where he's shirtless. And, uh, you know, as a woman, as a heterosexual woman, I found that very, very delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it irritating that, Sandra Bullock's character was so, she was so interesting and yet she was also reduced into this romantic figure who was fantasizing about the 20th century and then. Yeah, because she's basically like a fangirl. Yeah, she's a fangirl and she's a little girl. Like she, along comes like her knight in shining armor, Sylvester Sloan, who Mm -hmm. is this idea like uh, the people in her time think of him as like a primitive man because he is no holds bar and he says what he wants and he like does policing in the old traditional way. It was very much like mm-hmm. old versus new mm-hmm. kind of trope. Yeah. And and then She's I, into I guess, like masculinity, yeah. you know. Yeah, like exactly. Old, like old school. Fashion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and um Sylvester Sloan represented all that. Yeah. And then in the end he um sexually assaults her. <laughs> yeah, that's what you brought up. Like, like well, yeah. everyone thinking, oh, it's nothing, but it's actually it is. You know, if you talk about now, that she didn't give him consent to do yeah, what he wants. Absolutely. And so then he just grabs her, and yeah. But like, if you look at yeah, so basically, what happened was at the end, um, because you know Hollywood films, we always have to have a heterosexual kiss. Um, Wesley Snipes grabs Sandra Bullock and then pashes her, and um sexual assault obviously um but mm-hmm. if you look through the films from the from the 20s onto you know all throughout hollywood's history especially in the 50s you know those aggressive mass those aggressive mid-century men white men mm-hmm. they were always grabbing onto women and just like thrusting their mouths onto them mm-hmm. and then we and then like we would have like stirring music in the background as mm-hmm. though that's very romantic mm-hmm. and i think like for myself i still feel like I mean, I, my ideas of romance are changing, but I think sometimes I still feel like I would like the man to make the move. Not so, maybe not so violently, but mm. I still have residues of thinking, oh, it's so romantic when the guy is more aggressive and makes the move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does happen. I think it happen, It happens in a lot of Asian movies and dramas as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Where the guy the, just like... The ugh, guy just God. violently like approaches the woman and... There was a her. turn yeah. in, I'm not quite sure if it's, it was originated from Japan or Korea. It's called mm. bi, bi dong, okay, as in where, when the, the, when the girl, yeah, usually it's a girl that stands, you know, her back against a wall and the guy approaches her closer and closer and he puts an arm, arm onto, like he puts his hand onto the wall, like right oh next to her head God. and then moves oh closer and Literally, so all, fucking predatory. <laughs> I know. Like, literally, most of my female friends that just say that, oh my god, that's so romantic. You know, he just oh approaches god. closer and closer, and then puts his hand onto the wall. The the, the um, I think the movement, you know, where you put your hand onto the wall, it's just like trapping her, like not exactly not letting predatory. the woman going anywhere else. But a lot of drama that had that kind of you know that scene, and a lot of women would just think that. Gosh, it's so romantic. It's it's only romantic if it's not like, like you said, pre- predatory. 
Well, I think the difference between romance and creep is whether or not you desire that man. That's right. If you're into him. Yeah. If or you don't Whether like or him, not obviously. the man is good looking. I think that's oh, the st- natural standard for a lot of women. Right. Well, it's yeah. not for me. Like, I'm, I'm so often in love with, I mean, you know, the details, hell. Yeah, your standard <laughs> I'm is in love with different. people who are so not attractive sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, they're like really, visually, really visually different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, the people I fall in love with often, I think back to the men I've been in love with. One in particular, and he was like short and skinny and not attractive, but I was so in love with him. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's interesting. Like our ideas of, I feel like as a, if I was a man, I would be confused about what the woman would want me to do if I was attracted to a, a girl. I would be so confused as to how to make a move. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think especially the last 20 years when you, like, the feminists have progressively really spoke out about what we want and what yeah. we don't want. Yeah. But a lot of media and also entertainment industry is still portraying, you know, portraying, uh, you know, how the men should present themselves in the romantic context. Yeah. It, it confuses men. It does, and boys as well, of course. Mm. Like, they don't know what they should be doing, or they don't know if it's right or wrong. But and also, it also confuses girls as well. I mean, in the heterosexual context, that girls or women that really needs to listen to themselves and mm. knowing what's uncomfortable yeah. and not really follow what's happening in the mainstream. As in telling you how to totally. act. Yeah. I, I remember growing up, you know, if we're talking about uh, romance context, I remember mm. growing up, you know, there's like, I don't think it was Cosmo, but it was just some kind of Chinese magazines. Oh. No, it was Chinese or Chinese magazines. Oh, okay, Chinese. Yeah. Uh-huh. They tell you how, like, they tell how ge- tell girls how to behave during the date. Yeah, I know. know. I remember reading that in Dolly and Girlfriend. Yeah, and then like, oh, don't eat too much or close oh your legs. Oh my God, and that's fucked up. You know, be, fucking be hell. Quiet, that's like, so fucking be oppressive. I know, it's so oppressive. Like, you well, look my, at it yeah. now. And I mean, you know, I have a daughter now and you're re- looking at those. I'm like, I'm never going to tell my daughter to do those things. Well, mind you, I had my, like, um, I had someone in my family member who I won't say. <laughs> Um, she used to tell me to not be too much. Like she used to say to me, "Oh, um, that this is why guys don't like chase you, Jess. You're too much. You're too like you're too opinionated." And I honestly believed that for so much of my twenties, that I was too much myself on the first date. And in hindsight, my heart is just my heart is so angry that I put mm-hmm. myself through that because. Mm-hmm. If I knew myself better back then, I would be like, um, you just fucking be yourself. And all those men were just not right for you. That's you right. Know? Yeah. They were so boring and plain and they wanted boring and plain girls. And I'm not boring and plain, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, um, yeah, I remember reading religiously Dolly magazine where they, they would have lists, like listicles, like 50 things to do. 50 oh um, my god no wait, wait no no sorry it was more like 10 things oh, okay. to make a guy like you or like to make a crush oh, yeah. notice you uh-huh. oh my god i cannot believe i read that i'm so ashamed yeah i think we all and went through maybe that we'll, face oh my god i'm seriously so ashamed and it, it was probably more it was stupid things like putting on lip gloss oh i remember this i remember actually one distinctive article where it said 
things that will turn a guy on and one of them was um, either brushing your hair in front of him or putting on lip gloss. Mm-hmm. What the fuck, right? I'm so angry. I hope that's I want to like go to the offices. Yeah. I want to go to the offices of like Dolly and girlfriend and like fucking just trash their office. They shouldn't be doing stuff like that anymore. I don't. I don't actually mm. know if they still do that. I hope not. Yeah. yeah. But like, mind you, even like Vogue, Cosmo, all those magazines. I have never, ever, ever. Not even when I was younger, like in my twenties, I've never been a fan of them because I just find that they are instructions on how to be fucking plain. I like. I don't need to be told how to dress or what kind of makeup to put on. Yeah, you know, I think they're it's, so oppressive. It it's it like it was like a trend for a lot of um, high school girls too. I remember, like my Anglo friends don't really read them because for some reasons they're probably already popular within, you know, within the school. Mm. And those type of magazines are, like you said, you know, it's very instructive about for those for the girls who are more likely to be insecure and like maybe not non white. Mm. I, I've noticed a lot of Asians or non white girls that read those magazines that it's like Oh really? Yeah, I feel like well at least in my, my school. Like I feel like um it's trying to make us uh, I don't know if I'm if it's okay to use the word whitewashed in this yeah. context, but it, it does feel like a way when, when you look in the back that you just have to follow the standard of beauty. You have to yeah, follow exactly. the standard of fashion and all that. Oh, and I what hate to that buy. So much. Yeah, it's so commercialized. I hate yeah. that. I hate that so much. Like, I literally am so angry just talking about it. I hate it. Yeah, it's disgusting. Like, I think, think I feel like now. sometimes I hate more things than I love things. <laughs> No, that's that's not true. I love so many things, but um, yeah, I I just remember I had a housemate in my twenties who read Vogue and Marie Claire religiously, and she was very very um, aesthetically motivated. Mm-hmm. Like everything she owned was by Michael Kors or Chanel, yeah. and she was in she worked in like marketing publicity. Well, she it's has just, to. And it's a she goal. She was just so of shallow. Capitalism. It was so. Oh, I found I find always that like. Obviously, I'm judging a woman here. I am completely aware of that, but um, I have but never she's been. Fall, she's fallen as a victim. Of I've that never understood system. those kind of people. Yeah, like there is no substance to me. There is no substance behind wearing a Michael Kors handbag or Kate Spade. Like for me, that is there's no personality behind that. You know, like. I used to go around thinking that fashion is very shallow and I think I still believe that 80%. 20% I believe that fashion can be some sort of art mm-hmm. and I think, you know, I think that is true. You know, some people actually do that and live by that but I'd say 80% is just so shallow. It's so aesthetically motivated. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And most, most fashions are only fitted for like 20% of the people. Oh, oh less, wide, I'd say. Yeah, they're not very Like, wide look range. at all the fashion models on Vogue, That's on those right. glossy yeah. magazines. Like, I, no I like on any body. given day, on any given day, I don't actually, I don't remember the last time I saw anyone who looked like a model, as in, like, had the model's body as well. Like, I honestly don't remember seeing that. When I take the bus or the train, like, I see sometimes very pretty girls, 
or like hot guys, mm. but I've never seen like someone who looks like Gigi Hadid on the streets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're really rare. And yeah. I don't want to aspire to that. That's right. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, we can wrap it up today. It was a good chat. Yeah, I love talking about films. Yeah, me too. We should go watch a film soon. The The films are opening up. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Hopefully um, I'm the going second to see wave a... is not going to come. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I'm going to see a film this Saturday with a couple of friends, Saturday night at Dendi. So excited. Mm-hmm. But we're going to see the film Monos, which uh-huh. Billy had told me about is good. So okay. it's like apocalyptic like apocalypto like oh okay yeah. so essentially what about you what happening now um i always just want to um, catch up all the films on the taiwan film festival okay yeah yep. how long is it lasting for um i think you can rent it for like a month like the oh, season okay pass. yes yeah yeah okay so we'll wrap okay, it up awesome. today great chat we'll talk to you next week yeah okay. thanks guys Cheers. bye hell bye